Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're going to experience a second death blow to our self-righteousness. It started with the first one last week when our passage in Matthew chapter 5 forced us to ask the question, am I a murderer? We continue this week with verses 27 through 30 in chapter 5, and the question Jesus forces us to ask this week is, am I an adulterer? No doubt most in Jesus' audience would have immediately answered this question with, of course not. But that's because they understood the question differently than what Jesus meant by asking it. Similar to the murderer question, Jesus' point was that just because you may not have committed the actual sin, the state of your heart tells an entirely different story. And the question therefore demands a different answer than you might otherwise give. Here is today's segment of the sermon that asks the question, Are you an adulterer? Jesus introduced the grotesque idea of losing members of your body to show you how incomparably better it is if you prepare for eternity the right way than to try to get away with enjoying fleeting and unfulfilling and sinful and destructive pleasures in this life. Now, one more thing I want to say. Make no mistake about it. Being a Christian does not make you immune to sexual sin. I've been in the ministry for um, close to a half century. I have seen lives ruined by sexual sin, and some of them that I have witnessed have been believers. And I want to tell you, when a believer falls into this kind of sin, at least in my observation, it has never been an instant, sudden, whimsical event. It's always the result of heart failure. It's always a failure to guard the heart over the long haul. It's always the, the culmination of a series of events and decisions that have worn down resistance, fanned the flames of the, of the wrong things. And none of them along the way by themselves might seem very big until they snowball into a disaster. Now I want to read you a little illustration of how this happens. There's a kind of interesting sidebar behind it. I, I was once uh, very good friends with a guy who was a, a, a ghost writer. He, he wrote a whole bunch of best-selling books for other people. And, and he was writing uh, one on behalf of a guy that had great insights. He said, this guy has great one-liners. He has great outlines. And his writing is awful. And he had this idea that my friend then wrote into what turned out to be about three pages in the guy's book. And he showed it to the guy and said, what do you think? And he said, wow, did I say that? That's good. Right, well, this is a picturesque way of putting it. 
I'm just going to read it to you, and then there's, there's more. If you look up the book, the, uh, the, the subtitle is How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. It's His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. I don't endorse everything he says and everything he's, he's done, but this is brilliant. Do you know you have a love bank? Here's what he writes. Figuratively speaking, I believe each of us has a love bank. It contains many different accounts, one for each person we know. Each person either makes deposits or withdrawals whenever we interact with him or her. Pleasurable interactions cause deposits, and painful interactions cause withdrawals. In my love bank, every deposit or withdrawal is worth a certain number of love units. If I meet a friend, we'll call him Jim. Why did he pick that? We'll call him Jim, and the encounter leaves me feeling comfortable. Well, one love unit will be deposited into his account in my love bank. If the interchange makes me feel good, Jim's deposit in my bank is two love units. Very good gets three. Four units goes to him when he makes me feel exceptionally good in an encounter I can rate among the best experiences of my life. Suppose, however, that I find myself feeling uncomfortable when I'm with someone. We'll call her Betty. One love unit is withdrawn from Betty's account. If she makes me feel bad, two units are withdrawn. Very bad merits a three-unit withdrawal. If, I, if, I, if my encounter with Betty uh, is among the worst experiences of my life, it costs her a four-unit withdrawal. As life goes on, the accounts in my love bank fluctuate. Some of my acquaintances build sizable deposits. Others remain in the black but have small balances, perhaps because of fewer interactions with me. A third group builds up still smaller balances because my experiences with them are mixed, sometimes pleasant, sometimes painful. For these people, deposits almost equal withdrawals. Other people go into the red with me. That means they cause me more pain than pleasure. I never feel good when I think of them, and I do not want to see them or be with them. In short, their accounts at my love bank are overdrawn. Now, he goes on to explain the, the implications of that. When you find somebody and you wind up getting married, what happens is you've had so many interactions that that account just greatly exceeds all the rest of them. Then he makes this point. Affairs happen when you allow someone's account to rival or exceed your spouse's account balance. I can practically guarantee something like that is in the process of developing in the life of someone here today. You can't put this many people together, even people who love the Lord, and not have that be happening. And I want to warn you, if that's going on, what should you do about it? Well, I don't recommend dismembering yourself or the other person. But I can tell you this, close that account. End that relationship. And then there's always the, well, well what ifs? Well, I... I work with this person. Ask for a transfer. Well, I can't do that. Get another job. End that 
relationship. Close that account. That's why verses 29 and 30 are so grotesque. Consider your members dead to those things. Draw the lines of safe boundaries and, and, and stay in them. You know, there's the, uh, there's the Billy Graham rule. It's now been renamed the Mike Pence rule. Both of them, as Christian men, have said, I, I choose not to be alone with a member of uh, the opposite sex. You know, and he got pilloried for that. You know, that's, that's awful. Well, you know, at least don't be alone with a member of the opposite sex outside the view of, every, of somebody else and, and, and without your spouse knowing about it. In other words, be, be diligent about it. Don't try to see how close to the edge you can come and still feel safe. Don't think that you're the exception that can toy with that kind of feeling and not be susceptible to a shipwreck. And by the way, that doesn't just apply to unmarried people. That applies to the married as well. There's a passage of Proverbs specifically addressed to married folks. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 19. And again, it's addressed to a man. It applies both directions. Understand this. Drink water from your own cistern. Now, it might not be the most romantic thing to call her, but your wife is your cistern. You are her brethren. No, uh, that's not what it means. But, but you, get the, you get the metaphor, right? And draw water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours and yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. If I might translate that, Make sure her account is always miles beyond everybody else's. Make sure your husband's account is always miles beyond everybody else's. Rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Now as we head in for a landing here, let me suggest... Three strong reasons to run from sex outside of marriage. And after I give you these, strong, these three very strong reasons, then I'm going to give you the real one. Okay? Not that these are bad. Reason number one, there are physical consequences. Look, there's, there's physical pleasure in fornication. Make no mistake about it. And, and, and your body can't tell whether you're married or not. So don't, don't fool yourself. But understand, there are little things like sexually transmitted, transmitted diseases. Some of which are fleeting, embarrassing, disgusting consequences. Some of them are life sentences. And there's no appeal, by the way, when that happens. There are also... Emotional consequences. Sex is addictive. God designed it that way so, so there, there would be marital pleasure 
and procreation. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.